0: Welcome to the greatest Daily Bible Podcast
1: you've ever heard in your entire life. Now we're cooking, man. Let's do this. All right. I can't wait to jump in now. All right. Yeah, see? It almost makes it makes up for the fact that we're still in Song of Solomon. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's why this is going to be the greatest one. This is
1: going to be the greatest one because we're going to go into the nitty-gritty detail of every no, single metaphor. No, we're not. And analogy.
0: No, we're not. No, but there are commentaries out there that do that, and it's quite odd to read them.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a worship song too. You know, the worship song. No, the the sloppy wet kiss worship song. How he loves us.
0: There's a debate on that song, whether it's sloppy wet kiss
1: or an unforeseen kiss. The original text says sloppy wet kiss. Someone changed it because they realized that the first one was gross. Yep. It was a good change. I mean, There's I agree, but change. the original author <laughs> wrote Sloppy White Kiss. Wow. Let the record show. And if you're going to do justice, but by the way, we're singing it this Sunday. Just no, we're not. We're si- and we're singing the original version. No, we're not. Just so everybody knows. No, we're not. Hey, uh, if you've
0: enjoyed the chairs that we sit on on Sunday mornings at church, then uh, I... Don't I get too used to them. I hate
1: to break bad news to you because we've got our own chairs coming. That's right, man. They're, they're, they're a step above lawn chairs. They are. They are. So it's not going to be like you're 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 hurting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we're excited about these chairs, but here's the thing. Like we're pretty overall we're pretty organized I like to think about our approach to things. And so we purchased these chairs a while back and and they had to be manufactured and so they're fr- hot off the press and We've been trying to get this tracking number for them and we've been trying to find out when they're coming. When are they going to be here? When are they going to be here? And we've sent emails for like the last month checking to see, hey, have they shipped yet? Have they shipped yet? And we kept getting like, no, there was a delay. There's this, that and the other thing. Well, then all of a sudden yesterday, I get a call from the shipping company that's like, hey, we've got a freight shipment that weighs uh, 5,000 pounds and it's (laughs) seven pallets that uh, we're dropping off at your place on Tuesday.
1: It wasn't that much though, was it? No, it was that much. Five thousand pounds. Yeah. Like literally five thousand pounds. That's how much the shipment weighs. How are we gonna move these chairs around? I don't know. I don't what did we order? Are these lazy boys? <laughs> these are these are regular stackable chairs. Right? Ra- yeah, but
0: there's the carts that they go on. So there's seven carts, okay. forty five chairs
1: on each cart. Oh, okay. It's a lot of chairs. It's three hundred and fifteen chairs. Three hundred and fifteen. Yeah. Mercy. Yeah.
0: So all that to say, um, pray for us because we've got to uh, figure out a way to get those in the trailers or uh, we're going to call for their help. Yeah. So we'll figure that out, but we're excited and there's 315 of them, which let that be a reminder to us that we are doing something out here important and that is trying to reach people with... The good news of the gospel. And uh, so think about that and think about the fact that we fill up about a third of those on Sunday morning right now. Uh, We want to fill up all of those by the end of the year. We want to hit 300. Yeah. That'd be amazing. So uh, think about that and think, man, if I I could invite two people to church, two people to church. Or 200. Yeah. And when I say we fill up a third of that, that's adults. We have about 100 adults, Mm -hmm. give or take. So if you brought two people to church between now and December or and they, 200 or 200 and they stuck around we would hit that number easy
1: and we'd have to give prayer and thoughts to going into two services which is part of our goal here so that would be a that, and that would be a probable response yeah if we hit 300 this weekend or a uh, well, this week couldn't be good too but by <laughs> december the end of this year i think two services would be almost a guarantee
0: and such a benefit too because then our people can worship one serve one i mean there's just so many reasons so why many good.
1: good reasons we can't wait
0: so join us with that and think about who you can invite to church even this week that's right and uh and start doing Bring that it. hey we are in song of solomon yes we are then we're finishing up second corinthians yes we
1: wow corinthians man I barely... I feel like I didn't have enough time with you guys.
0: Yeah, well, we'll circle back next year. Okay. We'll hit
1: them again. I promise?
0: Yeah. Okay. And here's something even better for you. You don't have to just stop reading. If you want to keep reading 2 Corinthians because you enjoy it that much, mm. you can just keep going.
1: I want all the Corinthians. Okay.
0: Well, I don't have all the Corinthians for you. My Bible only has two. <laughs> first and second. But hey, Song of Solomon, let's jump in and uh, chapter four. Before we get into this, though, I need to give an, an update on my convictions regarding the layout of this book. I think wow. it was yesterday. You asked me go. if I held to the view that this is a plot. And I think I told you yes, because that was how I, I had always That's uh, what everyone uh, else it as.
1: Preached, Pretty right? Pretty much, yeah. Anyone, that's, that's, the, that's, right. that's the popular approach most people take.
0: Yes. However, in reading it, again, and studying it, Quite honestly, just more in depth than I ever have for this podcast. Uh, I I think my view is changing. Wow! I I think when you look at how quickly it gets into the physical intimacy, if this is a plot and the wedding takes place later in the book, then Solomon's got some (laughs) explaining to do.
1: If it even is Solomon, I'm still not convinced it's him necessarily. But but yes, to your point, and I I I, it's pretty zesty. It's spicy at the beginning, and if it's that spicy at the beginning, it seems like they're if they're not. Ah, uh, let's see. How do I say this without saying anything that, that I shouldn't say? It just seems like they're they're engaging in premarital. It's a little intimacy. salacious. Yeah, exactly. If
0: it's not, yeah, yeah. Instead, it, it seems to be maybe more in keeping with a compendium of poems that are praising the Perhaps. sexual relationship
1: between a husband and a wife. Yeah, I mean, and and granted, we should just acknowledge this is one of the hardest books to to interpret. Totally. So many there's so many different probable, yes. no, not prob, possible approaches that are they're they're okay like that's a good approach yeah theologians have argued about this book for since the beginning yeah. i suspect
0: yeah yeah uh chapter four i think is probably one of the more spicy chapters in the entirety of the book
1: can you just talk us through all of these no i don't know what, the, I don't know what he means
0: no i will say this he praises her for having all of her teeth which <laughs> is in husbands have
1: you praised your wife for having all their teeth lately right be thankful come on man
0: i mean hey compliment that Step smile it up all of your teeth they've got <laughs> twins
1: Yes. And I suspect they're white too. You know, you can tell your yeah. white. Hey, I love that your teeth are brushed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. Love that's that a good your thing. Your
1: breath is fragrant.
0: Verse four, your neck is like a Tower of David. Uh, does not necessarily mean that she had a super long giraffe neck, but uh, it was probably referencing power and dignity and... Uh, could have been sleek. And splendor. It could have. Yeah, yeah. It could have been Strong long, but... uh
1: neck, you know, nice yeah. long neck.
0: I, I, I don't want to go too much more in detail with these You're lines. You're verse five, aren't you? Um, I'm going to jump over verse five. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty... I I don't know. I don't
1: know. Fawns, the gentleness. I read about gentleness and you, you're breathing heavily. I'm just
0: going <laughs> to let you go on I'm this not, one. I'm
1: not. I'm just. Okay. So yep. I did read. I did read. Okay. Fons. gentleness. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I read about this. These okay. Things. So you read about it too then. I'm just saying, okay. Yeah. It, maybe someone didn't read about it. Uh, gazelles, fawns, gentleness, youthfulness, all the above. Right. He's praising your body. He's basically.
0: Pra- this well, is John Mayer's Your Body is a Wonderland. Before I, that's him. what I was saying, man. You're right? Like,
1: no, we're not going to do that. Well. <laughs> Can we sing it now?
0: No, we can't We can't sing it. We got we the
1: afternoon.
0: Anyways, he's expressing a, a desire he wants to be with her, and he wants to be with her physically. He's consumed with passion for her and for her body, and he's praising her body as he goes through here. And it's it's uncomfortable to eavesdrop on this, but it's not an uncomfortable concept between a husband and a wife in the right context.
1: That's a great, that's a great point. You know, it does feel a bit, uh, voyeuristic. Right. So this is interesting because God obviously wants us to read this. It's in his, it's in his works. Right. Uh, why does he want us to read this then?
0: I I think to give permission to remove some of the taboo of the enjoyment of the sexual union between Mm. a husband and wife. I think this book gives us permission to enjoy our spouse and to, to not feel shame about that or embarrassed about that, or like there's something wrong with that. And so I think there's
1: helpfulness in that. And that's so interesting because there was periods in our Christian history where people were like super prudish about this. Mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, if you're going to do this, you can only do this for the sake of having kids. And it seems like God is giving us permission, not just to have it for the sake of having kids, but to have it for the sake of enjoying it, right. Enjoying the act of it and enjoying your spouse right? and, and loving the one that you're with. Right. Right.
0: Right. Verse nine, you've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. I read a commentator that paraphrases by saying he's telling her I'm, I'm crazy about you. Like, I've, I've just, I'm nuts
1: for you. Okay. Um, I like the way he said it better, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But that, that passion there. Quick follow-up question then. If periods of Christian history interpreted this, uh, interpreted sex as being something nasty or, or filthy or dirty or whatever, what did they do with Song of Solomon then?
0: Well, I think that's why it was allegorized so heavily from the very beginning.
1: They had to and in order had. to to make sex bad.
0: Well, and not even to make sex bad as much as just to allow for... A, a, I don't think it was within their, their frame of reference and their understanding of God that there would be a book that praises sex like this. Yeah. I, I think there was immediately there was a thought of going, surely this must mean something else for it to be included in the canon, This must be spiritualized. We have to make this completely about God's relationship with Israel or mm. God's relationship to the church. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why it was immediately allegorized for so long. And, and, and honestly, the allegorization of this passage is the older interpretation of it. It's the one that goes back to the rabbinical interpretation. Mm. It's present in the early church. It's present with the church fathers. It, it, it's, more recent that people have said, no, I think there's some,
1: there's a both and there's a literal element at work here, which I I think there is. You bring up a great point, Pastor BJ. Some people will quote the church fathers, the early church fathers as being particularly authoritative uh, insofar as their interpretation was in somehow uh, authoritative. It carried greater weight than our interpretation today. Why is that wrongheaded? I I think it, it, it carries the proximity
0: to the, the writing of scripture into the the authority of Scripture, into being close to the writing of Scripture. So, just because they shared a proximity to those that wrote Scripture, means that somehow that their teaching on Scripture held a greater weight than ours does. It's it's a it's a even. In, in some Protestant circles, it's it's a little bit of a, a variant of apostolic authority. Mm-hmm. That you look at the Catholic Church, and one of the reasons why the Catholic Church today puts so much weight behind what the Pope says is they believe that they can trace the lineage, and they can't, but they believe they can mm-hmm. trace the lineage of the Pope all the way back to Peter. Right. And they're saying there's there's a there's a handoff of apostolic authority from Peter all the way down. I, I think sometimes we errantly view the Church Fathers that way. Well, because the Church Fathers were discipled by the original apostles, they share apostolic authority, and so we should trust what they say. Say on equal footing with scripture instead of saying, no, well, let's let the text help us understand and help the be informed by the text on what it has to say. And there's been a lot of teachings that have crept into the church. For instance, in, infant salvation is primarily defended even by those adherence to it through church fathers and not primarily through the text because the text doesn't clearly support it. support it. Right. Right. At best implies a potential, but even there, I don't think that's the right handling of the text. And so they appeal instead to church fathers mm. and it's, it's a danger zone for us. The church fathers did a lot of good, but the church fathers weren't inerrant and nor were they authoritative in the
1: writings. Yeah. And that's a, it's so interesting too, because if you look back over the tr- the course of church history, you see that scripture, uh, when it's, when it's in its proper place, it, it it does help us build doctrines and yeah. guard against false teaching. I mean, there are so many times where you see the church gather together to say, let's hammer out this teaching, like with Arianism being one of the first and, and greatest threats to our church, uh, to the church itself. When the church came together to hammer it out, they went to the scripture. And they did go to one another and say, well, what did origin say right. and what did someone said? They went to the scriptures and the scriptures are what helped us to clarify teaching. And that's largely what's happened. False teaching creeps into the church. The church gets together to clarify teaching and suddenly things are clear. They work hard to understand what the text says. And that's what helps us to grow. I mean, we're 2000 years now into this and we have a lot of theology hammered out because of the work of these men that we stand on the shoulders of. Yep. Yep.
0: One chapter 5, starting in verse 10, he resumes the description of her body, and uh, let's just put it this way he drifts south on her body as far as his description goes, and that's what he spends time focusing on in the remainder of chapter 4 there, uh, before getting into chapter 5. any Anything specific you wanted to comment on in that section?
1: Uh, I um, well, okay, so <laughs> it's unclear exactly what's happening in chapter five when it comes to okay if we're looking again at the, if there is a plot here chapter five or chapter four oh sorry were you chapter four
0: i was just saying the rest of chapter four is what i was oh, referencing my bad yeah i agree chapter five is muddy man and you mentioned this book's hard to interpret chapter five is a great example of that
1: i thought you went to chapter five yeah my bad awake oh, o north wind come o south wind blow upon my garden let its spices flow yeah i think there's enough ambiguity in there planned a- ambiguity by the author, I suppose to to not be again salacious or to be too, yeah, ex- exciting in the in the wrong way. But uh, I mean, it seems like okay. There's some there's something going on there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intimate things going on.
1: Intimate things happening.
0: Yeah. Chapter five, uh, verses two through eight. This scene where she's searching for her beloved. This is where it gets. It gets hard. It gets difficult. What is, what is happening? Here? Right, because there's the question. Like earlier in chapter three, she, she had a dream. Is she dreaming again? Right? Is she dreaming? Is she awake? Uh, most of the commentators I found believe that she's awake, but then there were differences of opinion whether or not is she literally being abandoned. Is this a, another metaphor for the sexual relationship? Why are is, the watchmen
1: abusing her? Who are the
0: watchmen? Who are they? Why right. are they? I mean, interpretations vary so widely on this, and it's so. And, and what's so hard? A lot of times, when interpretations vary widely on a text, you can kind of look at a group of of expositors or commentators that are of your tribe, yeah. so to speak, say, theologically. What do they say, "Yeah," and say, "Okay, I, I, these guys are all agreeing." I think there's wisdom in an abundance of counsel we can trust. I think. I think this makes the most sense. It's a mental shortcut here. The, the, it's all over the map. It is. There's not a there's not a clear leading voice on what this passage means.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I guess that's a, that. That goes to show that as much as we do know, there's still so much we don't know. Yeah. Things that when we go to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, I'm sure we're going to have to. I mean, I don't know if we're going to have time with him one on one. I would like to think so. Right. Um, but certainly, I, I want to have some clarity about the Song of Solomon. Right. It's like, help me understand this. Right. Where, where did we go wrong on this? Give us the clear teaching on this. It's stuff like this, where I, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. We have ton of a ton of theological education, and we're still scratching our heads. Saying, yeah, What's song is Solomon chapter five about. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's laughable and humbling at the same
0: time. Yeah, and, and I know that's maybe frustrating to you listening to this. Maybe you're thinking, Ah, finally, I'm going to get understand what chapter five is about. I, I, I think the general. Per- premise here is there, there was an, a disruption to their union. There was a disruption to their, yeah, their relationship here. That's fair. That then is, uh, is r- the resolved. relationship is resolved and it's, it's resumed towards the end. Yeah. And so again, I think if this is a compendium of, of poems expressing thoughts about the intimate relationship between a, a husband and a wife, I think this is a, a situation where something happened, disrupted the relationship and yet they came back together.
1: And the the point then would be that love does conquer, the the difficulties and trials that can separate couples, and, and therefore love is resilient, right? Much like the resilient love of God Himself, who pursues His bride despite the fact that she rebels against Him for this or that reason, right? Which is an oversimplification,
0: admittedly, of the passage, and yet it's a, a safe oversimplification of the passage, without pressing anything too far, right? Let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. Wow, let's it's finish the last up Paul's chapter of Second Corinthians thirteen. Well, finish up Paul in Second Corinthians thirteen. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. He opens in the book uh, or opens the chapter 13 by saying, hey, look, I, I feel like I'm going to need to come to you again. He, he expressed earlier that he didn't want to come and bring judgment. And yet he's saying now I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to need to. Um, he's, he's saying, look, you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. And basically, Paul says, buckle up. You're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, and just. It's, again, that reminder that that things are not great in Corinth as, as Paul is writing these letters. And then so much so that in verses, verse 5 in particular, and this is a familiar verse to, to you if you've been around the church for any period of time. He says, examine yourself and see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Uh, This is written to a church saying, hey, make sure that you're actually in the faith. And this is, I think, particularly poignant for the area that we live in and that our our people are uh, living in and and where their neighborhoods are, their homes are and things. We live in a culture that is friendly to Christianity right now, at least here in in North Texas. And a lot of people would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Mm -hmm. Um, This verse has weight here and uh, we need to be careful. We're not going to go knock on our neighbor's door and say, hey, examine yourself to see whether or not you're really in the faith. But. We need to build relationships with people and work towards relationships with people where we're going to have an opportunity to encourage people to do this. But the first stop is making sure that we've done it ourselves.
1: Right and and there's nothing i mean we sometimes people get upset if if you're challenging something so so intimate and so uh I don't know so clearly important to people but if we care about people uh, it's not bad to examine ourselves to see whether there is fruit in our lives right um, that's an appropriate and wise thing to do maybe not every day not something that we would say you should do some spiritual navel gazing and only look internally to see if there's fruit there because that can become paralyzing and demoralizing yeah. if we look too closely yeah uh, one puritan said for every look at you take to you for every look at oneself take 10 looks to Christ yep I think that's really helpful I mean, I mean maybe the, pro- the proportions aren't exactly the, the number but you get the idea look more at Christ than you do it yourself but do look at yourself and yeah. see if there is something there that gives evidence to the testimony that you profess yeah
0: yeah yeah, well, I love the way that it, it wraps up in verse 11 when he says, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of peace and love will be with you. Lots of imperatives there. Restoration, comfort, unity, and peace. I mean, that's his his admonition. That's kind of his, his closing argument to them, if you will. Um, a, a church that's been fractured by... By uh, factionality, it's been uh, fractured by sinfulness that hasn't been dealt well, dealt with well. That He opened it up, saying, "Hey, look, this—the God of all comfort is here to comfort you in your affliction. You need to be comforting one another, agreeing with one another, living in peace. The God of love and peace will be with you." Uh, just a, a good reminder to this church, but helpful reminder to us as well that this should be our goal with one another in the unity of the body of Christ as well.
1: I was encouraged by verse ten. Um, Paul, again, refers to authority. Uh, This is the second time now that we've seen in the book of Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, where Paul speaks to authority. In this case, he says, look, uh, when I come, I don't want to use my authority to to tear you down. I can if I need to, but I don't want to do that. In fact, God gave me authority for the very purpose of building you up. Good and godly authority has the intended ends of building up, of supporting and blessing the people that are underneath. So uh, let it be seen here that God does, honor and esteem authority authority by and large is meant to build you up but on occasion if necessary it does have the effect of also being utilized for chastisement for tearing down as necessary yeah well hey we're grateful for you joining in for another episode of
0: the daily bible podcast yes congratulations you made it the best one ever yeah probably debatable
1: no no i don't
0: think there's any debate okay Well, hey, we're glad that you joined us. Join us again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you tomorrow.